listen in. Thanks for doing just that. Music. Music has some sort of magical, maybe mystical thing happening. That couldn't be more sucked in. I love it. I love it. You see, I want to live life better, unless I'm in some sort of funk and all I want to do is wallow. Songs, artists, musicians, lyrics, they help me in all sides of life. They're like lifts in my shoes. I walk a little taller, my shoulders are on my back. Yeah. Bring on life. Bring it completely on. Bring on life. So I'm full of questions and I listen in. Luckily, or hopefully, I travel with a recorder and open SM58 microphones. You've got questions? You've got questions? I've got more. I'm Frank Jenks. I began listening in with a syndicated radio program, interspersing conversation pieces with songs and subject matter. And now, I just want to offer this fullness, the greatness, the insight directly from rock stars to you this way. I would say this was 20 plus years coming. Me and Murray Attaway. And it was probably better now than it would have been then. Yeah, I mean, I... I was fully into Guadalcanal Diary, or at least I thought so. And then when his solo record, In Thrall, came out in the mid-90s, it was, you know, it was just the next step for an artist's career. Then things went silent for Murray's recording career. If not for a couple of unreleased albums I received, and loved, by the way, it would have been too quiet. We recorded this over Skype on April 16th, 2015. I guess when you started writing lyrics, was it important to you to, I guess, purge your own soul or just try to connect with the other human beings out there? And was it that important when you started writing? I think when I really started writing songs in earnest, it wasn't so much of a purge at that point. It was just to write songs that lyrically interested me, that the content interested me. And that I hoped, like you always hope, that other people will be interested as well, you know, to sort of connect that way with other people. I mean, you kind of have to write about what you want to write about, or at least people like me do. And um, you just cross your fingers that somebody else will be interested in that same thing. Which is why I didn't, I haven't ever written a lot of love songs, because I figured there's plenty of them. But there's not a whole, a whole lot of songs about spontaneous human combustion and things like that. So, you know, <laughs> I'm happy to have provided at least one. <laughs> because there's not a plethora, you're right. No. Do, do you get a sense when you hear other artists' music that they have some sort of earnestness, if that's a word, uh, of what they're writing about rather than it just being more more stuff that gets in the into pop culture and it just becomes popular because it is. Well, I, I mean, I'd like to think so, but, you know, it really depends on the artist. And, you know, even if I doubt that they're being earnest, I try to give them the benefit of a doubt because I don't, if it's somebody I don't know personally, then it's hard for me to pass that, to make that call, you know. Yeah. Um, you know, popular music has is, has gone in such a different direction, at least as far as, you know, the stuff that really sells and the stuff that actually gets out in front of people, 
the you know just like anything else i don't think i don't think pop music is any form more formulaic than it ever has been i think it's always been pretty formulaic in, in a general sense but, i mean it's it's hard nowadays to to really gauge anybody's sincerity i mean like at this point in time we had a little skypey skype issues so murray actually decided to go outside i'll, I'll head on outside take you with me here Hey, was there ever a time when, um, when, when you had somebody at a label or a manager or whatever say, "Hey, y- your lyrics are just too potent." Too potent? Yeah, <laughs> just too much, too much, too much cerebral stuff going on. If not, uh, when Block and Al Diary got signed, they knew what they were getting into. I mean, the guy that signed us was a real fan, a guy named Kevin Patrick. Great guy. I'm still you know in touch with them a little bit on facebook so they knew what they were getting into they knew we weren't gonna yeah be writing songs about cars and girls and getting high and stuff like that but uh you have to remember too that that was in the wake of rem getting really well known that was when they first started to really really break and so you know i don't know how much I don't know if it's even fair to say that the people that were scouting us, because all the big record labels came after us once we put out that first record on, our first record we did on an indie label called DB. Um, and after they, after all those, the labels came after us, we were on a club tour, and um, there were definitely some of them that just, came after us because they saw us in the trades and they thought they should. They thought, oh, well, here's, you know, we can have our own R.E.M. or whatever the hell they thought. I don't know. But uh, it was in the wake of that. So, you know, that kind of, those kind of bands, all those kind of, I mean, we were on college radio a lot, too. So everybody was kind of kicking open a door. But R.E.M. got a lot more famous than anybody else. So they really helped kick that door open. Um, which was really funny because uh, we didn't sound anything like them to me then, and we still don't sound anything like them uh, to me then. But um, everybody in the Southeast got compared to them because they got the most famous. Mm-hmm. So you know. Mm-hmm. But to get back to the question, I don't think anybody at Electra ever said, "Ah, you know, this is just too much. It's too." it's just too highfalutin you need to like dumb this down a little bit because we had plenty of dumb songs I mean Watusi Radio is a pretty dumb song you know <laughs> a lot of the stuff on the first album is pretty dumb stuff we didn't start getting real cerebral till the second one I don't know I thought uh, I liked Heathen Rage uh, yeah, if I, like I can that, ask you about that that's probably the one on the first album that and Fire From Heaven that kind of were a little bit off kilter but the rest of it was just kind of dumb fun stuff is that where you were at the time? I mean, uh, just sticking on Heathen Rage World. Is that where you were at the time, just trying to make trying to make sense of things of life? Because that's what I got from that song. Uh, yeah, that was the that was probably the catalyst. But um, it's also really easy and really fun to plunder passages from the Bible to use in songs like that. Because uh, I remember Jeff and I were like, 
what does that even mean? You know, what 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 does that passage mean? And it, that actually came about because there was a we were still living in Marietta at the time, and there was there's a the paper in Marietta is called Marietta Daily Journal, and every week, maybe every day, I can't really remember, but at least every week they ran an ad by a local church, and it was like a little message from the minister, but the headline was always, why did the heathen rage? And Jeff and I would see that, what what is he even talking about? Because it would be that same headline every, or same slug line every week. It's like, this guy's kind of like one note here. (laughs) But so we just took that, and then we started kind of looking into it, and and it fit the song we were going to write, so sort of tailored it around that. I, I still like that song. Yeah. Does that mean to me that you guys were kind of uh, thumbing your nose at religion at that time? Mm-mm. Oh, no, not no, at all? no, okay. no, 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 not at all, no. No, I mean, I've written a lot of songs sure. over my life about, you know, questioning things spiritual. No, I mean, I think of myself as a fairly spiritual person. I'm just not a conventional Christian, that's all. Yeah, okay, cool. Because at the time, I was doing a... Well, I, let, me, let me not tell that lie. I'm not a Christian, period. I'm a deist, but I'm not necessarily a Christian, put it that way. I, I guess I don't know what a deist is. It's, so I believe very strongly in God. Yeah? Yeah. And yeah, and I, I wonder if that's how I would describe myself, because every time somebody asks me if I'm a Christian, I have to ask them to define what it means to them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I don't, I don't like the question, right? I mean... Well, I used to get it a lot. I bet. Uh, funny thing with me, and I've said this in interviews over the years, but I always thought that the stuff that I wrote about spirituality was pretty open to interpretation by anyone. Um, but I never once, in all of my years of playing live and stuff like that, whether it was with Guadalcanal or whether it was on my own tours or whatever, I had plenty of Christians, even fundamentalist Christians, come up to me and talk to me about Christianity, not asking me the question, just saying, like, I had, I've had people come up and go, oh, I think that's so brave of you to put your Christianity in your songs when it's so unpopular to do that and I just kind of go uh, thanks you know because you don't want to hurt anybody's feelings right but um, I have never ever had a, uh, an observant Jew a Muslim uh, a Buddhist a Zoroastrian I've never had anybody ask or say anything to me about religion except for real committed usually fundamentalist Christians Nobody else ever comes up and says, oh, that's really great that you write all this stuff about my faith, you know? Mm. It's great that you write all this stuff about Judaism and your songs. It's like, okay. But it's always, Christians always do it. And so, therefore, they assume I'm this real serious. In fact, I, I did an interview with somebody, a woman, years ago who was convinced. She had been told ahead of time to watch out for me because I was going to preach to her <laughs> during the interview. It's like no, if I'm doing any preaching, it's already in the lyrics. So, uh, it, it's a, it's an, uh, it's a religion is an odd thing. It, it, it is because I did what I called for a while a Christian radio show, Christian rock mm-hmm. radio show, mm-hmm. and as soon as I got in the what I consider, I guess I define as sort of like the regular music business because I was a buyer and a marketing guy for a big chain of uh, music stores, mm-hmm. and I started noticing that. So many artists from the Lenny Kravitz of the world were singing about the same stuff. Mm-hmm. 
except for they were selling four million records, and you know the top selling Christian rock act was selling two hundred fifty thousand. Mm-hmm. And to me, I just went, "What's?" And and again, this is a part of my own growth and understanding of, or or trying to understand of what what it all means. You know, I just thought, "Why does it matter whose mouth it comes out of if it's if it's speaking to me in some sort of truthful way?" I guess. Sure. Sure. You know. Yeah. Uh... Yeah, it's it's hard to quantify. Uh, you remember Cornerstone? Oh, sure. Yeah. Did you did you play that? No, never played oh. there. But you know they had that magazine. Yeah. Oh, did for a while. They, yeah. They put out a, they put out a magazine every month. I think maybe it was just quarterly. Yeah. But two years running, Guadalcanal was like either first or second top ten best Christian albums of the year in that magazine. <laughs> so it's like, oh, it's a good thing you don't really know me. Well, you know, the the thing that I always, when I would talk to somebody, say, in your in your vein, I never wanted to talk to you back then because I never wanted you to get labeled Christian. Mm. And I maybe that was my own thing, personally, rather than professionally, but it just felt to me like if you get sort of thrown in, onto that Christian heap, you get categorized differently in record stores. Yeah, you do. You get different venues that you play at or somebody won't play you or will or wants to play you, you know, because they want to play you in a church or something, you know, and it's like, oh, after, after a while I just went, I, I, I just never want, so I just thought, I'm just doing a, sh- a show that hopefully helps people see light and whatever light means, so. Well, you know, that you're right, but occasionally bands kind of can come out and say, "Oh well, we're you know we consider ourselves a Christian rock band." But they still don't get that label. Like, who was that band? They put out some good records, I think, in the through the late nineties or the mid aughts. Um, Switchfoot, maybe. Switchfoot, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. They had some great records, and they considered themselves. They were very open about it, you know. But I don't remember ever seeing their their discs in a Christian band. Yeah, well, their first their first label was Sparrow. I know that. I think. Sorry, I'm really vaguing out but that's right but the uh, but the first couple i definitely were on some sort of christian label right and I um i think so yeah but then they got signed to sony but i interviewed john john is a really good guy he's a really mm-hmm. super nice guy and mm-hmm. very i think we had this i'd be having the exact same conversation with him as i am with you right now mm-hmm. and uh but the, i just remember him in one interview that i read said you know we're not christian by genre we're just christian by faith that's yeah, it yeah yeah and you know I thought that was a great way to address it. You know who else said that in the eighties? Who? Bono. Yeah, said right. that about you too. Yeah. Never forget that. In fact, if I'm not mistaken, he actually said, you know, something to the effect of Well, he he, he leaned heavily on the Catholicism oh. side of it. Oh, okay. You know, in, in whatever the interview was he was doing. And I remember thinking, Oh wow, I never even thought about that. You yeah. Know? Right. You go back and listen to those old records, it's clear, but, you know. But, I mean, I, there's no stigma attached as far as I'm concerned about if somebody wants to think I personally am. That's okay. I mean, I'm not that far from it, and I certainly grew up that way. Yeah. But, you know, it's just, you know, I've still got questions. I'll probably still have them, you know, 30 years from now. You know, that's the sad thing for me is my dad died eh, about four or five years ago. And I swear, at the end of his life, he was never a super... I mean, they, he went to church all the time, but, you know, that's different than being a being somebody who was content with, with their relationship with, I think, God. Mm-hmm. 
But at the end of his life, he was, he, I think he held on for three or four months because he could not come to grips with the way he lived. Mm-hmm. And he wasn't, he was a good man, but he somehow had doubt and um, all this stuff happening. And I just went, wow, this guy is in his late 80s and he still just hasn't come to a, a, a place of contentedness with his maker, if you will, you know? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, uh, you know, I'd say your dad sounded like a pretty smart guy. Yeah. If he was still questioning that late in his life and that close to it, you know. Well, if I have a gift, I think it is curiosity, and it's never-ending, because I I just remember hearing one minister one time say, "Would you, somebody asked him, would you live your life any differently if there was no God? And I, I guess I don't think I would. No. I don't think I'd live my life any differently that if there quote because I don't even know if there is. I just happen to think there is. Yeah, and same it's probably here. because I was grown in this country or grew up in this country, right? Same here. Same here. That's uh, it, we're in the exact same place with that. I mean, I don't know if there is. I just think there is. Yeah. And so I just try to get up and be the best person I can be every day and call it good. Yeah. And I and I fail a lot. So. <laughs> okay, I fail more. <laughs> I, I don't know. <laughs> we'll have a uh, a fail off. Fail off. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, a couple more songs on that on that first record, and then you tell me where how far you want me to jump around and blah blah blah. Because I don't want to I don't want to miss do what you like. I don't want to miss the stuff that Don Dixon gave me that I love, and I want to talk about that <laughs> stuff. So handing out my unreleased album. <laughs> I'm glad he did. I'm glad people, some people can hear it. You know, it got all somebody got a hold of it and uploaded. There's actually two albums worth of material that never got released, and somebody got a hold of it and put it on a torrent site a while back. Oh, did they? Because a friend of mine said, emailed me and said, "Oh, guess what I'm listening to? And he named some obscure song from it. I'm like, did I give you that? And he's like, nope. Oh, really? Nope, it's on BitTorrent. Oh. So. Well. But it's, well, that's fine. At least it got out. You know, The record label wouldn't sell it to me. They wouldn't sell me the rights to release it on my own. So at least people can hear it. Uh, well, I was, I was always good with my word. When somebody gave me something and told me not to share it, I didn't. So I, I'm telling you right now, other than people, a few people that I played it for to hear it, mm-hmm. I just never gave it to anybody because that's oh. who I was, right? You know, and I felt yeah, that was but, the right thing to do because I was in the business anyway, you know, and kind of still am, you know. So. Well, you know what I almost did, and, and some people from other labels encouraged me to do this, you know, when when it became possible to put music up for free downloads on the internet yeah. a number of years ago they were like you just put the stuff up and let people come get it for free and I said you know I just by that time Geffen had been absorbed by uni and I'm just like what am I going to do if they threaten to sue me right. you know I don't even want to take the chance I'm just right. one person I can't fight against a bank of lawyers at Universal Music Group right right so I never did it, but I, I'm I'm perfectly happy with it being out there. You know, share it with your friends. That's fine. Well, the, the funny thing I think again, I'm, I'm talking businessy wise, is people have given me music, and later on they'll go like, "You never leaked that music?" Like, "No, dude, you gave it to me." It's like, I think half of their intention was they'd hope it would leak out because then it recreated X amount of publicity and yak 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 blah blah blah. We get, you know, it's leaked out through, you know, at that time, my, my listening radio show, so I just never did it. So. Well, I, let me get this straight now. I am not under any, I'm not in any way telling you you should go leak this on the internet. I mean, you'll have your own, you'll, then they'll come, after, they'll come after you and not me. So you don't want that happening. I'm just saying, you know, 
please feel free to share it. I mean, I'm happy for it to be out there. I, I don't know who put it up on the torrent sites, but someone did, and I got no control over that. Well, I haven't done it for 19 years, so I doubt I'll do it in the next 19. Yeah, I, I've never done a thing like that. That's why I didn't do my own stuff. No. You know? I sure as hell don't want the RIAA coming after me either. Hey, so you you said you like Fire from Heaven. You want to talk about that? I, I I have it down as life is life is confusing and all that stuff, and you're wishing a difference could happen. In the lyrics of that song at the time, I'll tell you where it came from. I was I've always been fascinated with phenomenon, and I was reading a book called, happily enough, Fire from Heaven, <laughs> that was about spontaneous human combustion. And so I, I wrote those lyrics to sort of based. I, I think that song was more about despair than it was anything else. Hmm. Um, let me think about the lyrics for a sec. Rise and go. Yeah, a life all squeezed into these walls. She gazed out at night, wrote her dream across the sky. Yeah, see, I've written a bunch of stuff like that. It's just nobody's ever heard it because it's so <laughs> grim, you know. I wrote a song about probably about four or five years ago, from the point of view of a woman who was just alone and feeling everything closing in on her and uh, I thought it was a pretty good song I played it for a bunch of for several different women friends of mine and they were just like it's a good song but I wouldn't record it if I was you I wouldn't play it if I was you it's just too depressing and plus it I, I didn't think about this but after after somebody pointed it out to me I looked at the lyrics and I thought you know this could be construed as about about suicide, and I'm mm. sure as hell not going to put out something like that, right? Or even play it live. Never played it live, but um, yeah, you know, you have to be careful with that stuff. You know, one of my favorite songs of all time is "Don't Fear the Reaper" because it just, besides the fact that it's a catchy tune, it didn't occur to me until years and years after it came out that it was a travel poster for suicide and I thought how perverse is this that it got to be such a big hit I know that guy Buck Dharma claims that it's not but I don't believe him <laughs> it's just too obvious you know that's funny that you would have that uh, that guide inside you that would say I, I can't release this even though it's something that's that's moved through you to a point where you actually had to write it down and you thought well if somebody hears this they might they might be on that uh that fringe that is not safe i'd be right there at the edge and they might be they might just be disconnected enough to think hearing me do a song me do yeah. a song like that yeah is what they need you know it's an, it's and i mean i also i don't want to be that guy i don't want to be the guy that plays it i mean if i never record another note i don't want to be the guy that stands in front of an audience and plays it you know? yeah that, that's interesting to me. I mean, you you feel that responsibility then, right? Yeah. Like I said, even if I don't have an audience, I still don't want to be the guy playing it, you know? Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. But I think there's artists out there that write that song and they go, oh, man, this is so close to the edge. That's what, that's what people dig. And, sure. and so it's, it's almost more important for them to write something that's closer to the edge than it is to be, again, overusing the word responsible. Yeah, and, and I like a lot of stuff like that. You know, I like a lot of real dark stuff. I mean... Leonard Cohen's always been one of my favorite singer-songwriters ever, and I mean, his early stuff, well, at least by Songs of Love and Hate, was really grim, really, really mm -hmm. grim, but I'm not listening to him in a bathtub with a razor blade in my hand, either, yeah. 
you know. Right. I mean, I'm I'm okay, so I'm listening to it. Yeah. Right. Right. So I I, I don't have a problem with that stuff. I just don't want to be that person, you know. And I've done it a little bit, and Fire from Heaven was probably one of them. Although that's, I don't think anybody could construe that song as being about suicide. It's all metaphorical, and it's all. But you never know. Yeah. You never know. Yeah. I mean, look at all the all the flack Ozzy Osbourne got back in the '80s for writing Mr. Crowley. Right. Or no, no, not Mr. Crowley. Uh, suicide Solution. Oh yeah, right. Which, if you listen to the, de- not that I'm a big fan of his, but I mean, if you listen to those lyrics, because I did, I mean, it's clearly the opposite. You know, he's he's going for the opposite message that everybody took from it. You know, yeah. that a lot of people took from it. Anyway, there's just so many other things you can write about. Why get into that? Well, you wrote about uh, an interesting topic. I thought was was about a military person who died in Trail of Tears, right? Uh, Jeff actually wrote the majority of that song. Uh, did he? Okay. And it's. It's heavy song. It's a pretty heavy song. I think Jeff was influenced by, I know he was, I think he was influenced by some Civil War ballads he was listening to at that point. That's why it ends with uh, one more blue and one more black. Mm-hmm. The blue is significant of the color of the Union Army. Mm-hmm. Yeah, in fact, I know that's where that came from. I'm not real sure what he, if, if he had anybody specific in mind mm-hmm. when he was, that he was writing about. I think I only contributed a line or two of that song. Why, why'd you guys include, and then we'll get off of Walking in the Shadow of the Big Man, I, I just thought it was funny, and maybe this is why I thought you guys are all this Christianness when you put Kumbaya on a record. Why did we do that? Let's see. <laughs> why did we do that? Well, first off, you know, back in those days, the fra- Kumbaya didn't mean what it's come to mean now. You know how people say, oh, well, they had a kumbaya moment, and <clears throat> it's usually these days using the criticism towards President Obama. And, um, or to say that, you, you know the common usage of it now to say kumbaya moment. You know what that means. I don't need to explain it. But that didn't exist back then. And kumbaya was really only in the early 80s, you only ever heard it like at scout camp or something like that you know I mean that's basically where you heard it sitting around a campfire uh, I, you know I, I think we just did that for fun I think it was just pure fun that we did it I don't think it had any any deep meaning and <clears throat> Jeff came up with the idea of doing the break in the middle that sounds like the who and I just thought that was terrific you know we used, yeah, to, love, we used to love to take songs and bend them out of shape so that they weren't what they started out as, and Kumbaya was one of those. We also did a thing like that with Johnny Be Good that's not on that album, but we did it in those sessions, and it's on the flip side of the 45 of Watusi Rodeo, mm-hmm. um, where we took Johnny Be Good and made it a funeral dirge. <laughs> and we used to play that live a lot, too. Yeah. Yeah. It's actually on... Do you know that Rhino reissue that they did of our stuff? about 10 years ago they did the first three albums they did uh expanded editions of them oh did they i think yeah i think it's on that one oh i'll have to look that up i didn't i didn't know that came out it was rhino handmade it was a limited edition thing limited limited edition in those terms means we're not sure this is going to sell so we're only going to print, you know, ten thousand copies of it. If it goes past that, then we'll make it part of the catalog. Yeah, I think right. is how that works. 
But those actually turned out really good because they were curated by a good friend of mine named Scott Schender, who is a writer. And he knew more about us than I knew. And he did all the liner notes and all this and um, basically rode me until I just was on my back. He lived in New York at the time, and he was on my back, on the phone all the time, going, okay, what else you got? What else you got? Come on, dig, dig, dig. You know, find some more stuff. And so he ended up with a pretty good collection out of it. So can I ask a business question about that? Sure. Do you sign a new deal when that kind of thing comes out, or is no, it no? Okay. You know, I mean, you have to sign some releases, but that's it. You know, that I mean, all of that stuff was owned by Electra, Warner yeah. Electra Asylum. So, so no, we they they did the business stuff from them. They licensed it all from them. So, are you able to realize any change, any check in the mail on that kind of stuff? Nah, not really. Because did your did your albums recoup? You know, that's a good question. <laughs> and one I've never thought was satisfactorily answered. Mm. There was a lot of interesting stuff going on before we signed to Electra. And I'm not going to go into this very much, except just to say that uh, the first album, you know, Electra re-released the first album. You may or may not know that. We insisted on that. That was part of our contract because we felt like it hadn't gotten enough distribution in the United States. Because Danny Beard, who, run, yeah. who ran DB Rex, is a great guy, and he's actually a cousin of mine. I didn't know it when we made the record. We found out years later that we were cousins, yeah. Seriously? I mean, cousins by marriage, but nonetheless. <laughs> That's hilarious. Um, great guy. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, worked it hard, but, I mean, he was very limited in what he could do distribution-wise. So when we signed with Electra, we insisted. They didn't want to do it, but we insisted that they do it, and so they did, to their credit. But that was before we found out that it had gotten licensed as an indie to a label in the UK, which then turned around and licensed it to everybody they could think of really? in Europe and in, I think in Southeast Asia. And uh, so we never saw royalties from any of that. Mm. So we really don't know mm. what it sold. But as, if it, as far as recouping from Electra, yeah, I'm pretty sure it did. Mm. I think I think the first three did ultimately I, I don't know if the last one did mm. yeah it's although although the last one had the, the biggest radio hit we ever had which is totally ironic to me was that pretty is what was it no it was uh always saturday oh yeah that's a good song I have to confirm that. Oh yeah, that's a good song. Didn't mean to say it like oh, that. Thanks. That's weird. No, it's okay. I don't. I, I've never been that big of. A, I wrote that song, and I'm not that big of a fan of it. I never play it. Um, well, just to jump to it, the reason that I thought it was, the reason that I dug it is I thought there was a sort of uh, thing buried in there about we're actually searching for happiness, and we don't know where it is. So, I guess the weekend counts as happiness. Yeah, that's that. You're right on. You're spot on with that. Yeah. Yeah. See, and that's the reason I do these interviews, so I can hear that I'm spot on about something. Yeah, you're spot on with that. <laughs> yeah, and I and I thought that all the lemonade on the front porch and you know that kind of stuff and the flickering televisions and whatnot. I thought, I thought that was just it's something that that I'd seen all my life, and I thought it was if you're going to say, okay, well, this is this is what I have for happiness, and that's as good an imagery as anything I could think of. Yeah, so. right. Yeah, I don't I don't know. It's funny, I, I, can't, I can't even stand it every time I say this, but I saw an interview with, uh, I think it was Dr. Joyce Brothers and Larry Stinkin' King, and he said, well, are we all looking for happiness? And she's like, no, we're all looking for meaningfulness. And I went, oh, that's it. 
But I just think people confuse confuse their life with they're looking for happiness rather than what is meaningful. So, yeah, I, I think they go kind of hand in hand too. They can, right? They can. If you're doing it right, yeah. Yeah, but you know, when my dad dies and I did something, you know, at the funeral and stuff, and it wasn't happiness, but it was meaningful to me. You know what I mean? So. Well, yeah, that's yeah, a good. Point. So. That's a good. I guess it doesn't always have to yeah. be. So you know, pain is pain is a good thing, I think, too. Um, mm. How about uh, a few songs off of uh, Jamboree? Are you finished with the first record? <laughs> yeah, unless there's something else you want to talk about. No, no, no. I thought you said you had other things you want to ask about. Oh well, I I, uh, I guess the other question I would ask about only because I was trying to figure it out because I really like the song but I just couldn't figure out the gist is Sleepers Awake oh I forgot about that one Sleepers Awake uh, yeah that was one of my one of my sort of other world songs you know mm-hmm. uh, uh, there's a line in it that uh came from a book I read about Poe, meaning Edgar Allan Poe, not John Poe. <laughs> uh, I think the line is, uh, someone who bends so close to your face and watches your eyelids fall, someone who comes that only you see, only in dreams they call. Supposedly, Poe was convinced every night when he went to sleep that someone was bending over him. Which I just thought totally haunting. Yeah, that was that was one of my attempts at writing a very haunting atmospheric song. I guess I really one. Yeah, that's yeah. that's sort of what that is. Um, God, you know, I'd have to go through all those lyrics to think about what I was talking about specifically. Yeah. I probably wasn't talking about anything too specific. I was probably just trying to write an atmospheric song. Yeah, and that's okay too, right? Yeah, sometimes the explanations for my stuff are dumber than you might think. Huh. You know, the one thing that I thought, uh, uh, there was some, I guess a lot of times you you've, um, dive into dreamland. Yeah. Is it because that you think there's something special when we dream? Or, yeah. I mean, physically, I mean, when we're sleeping, dreaming, that sort of thing? Yeah, I do. I do. I actually sort of halfway believe that uh, it's its own dimension in the old sense of the word you know it's I, I think it's i think it's a place i think that it's actually places that are probably just as valid as you and i sitting doing this right now mm. what's that what's that technique called i've never actually tried it enough to make it work i've tried it a few times is vivid dreaming i don't know i don't know uh it's a thing where you do this exercise um a lot of people that do out-of-body experience stuff claim to be able to do it. And I know that in some of the early Costaneda books, he talks about it. But um, you, you supposedly can do these exercises so that when you fall asleep, you actually remember to do something in the dream. Mm. Like the big popular one is like tell yourself, keep telling yourself where you fall asleep to look at your hands, look down at your hands in your dream. Wow. And supposedly, if you're able to do something like that, then you can actually be more conscious in the dream. So, well, I mean, I don't know where those places actually exist. Maybe just in, you know, the frontal lobes, who knows, but in Isles of Langerhan or someplace like that. But, you know. I've always wondered if we travel there. I mean, some sort of metaphysically travel. 
I think we do. That's, I guess, what I'm getting yeah. at. I, I, I still sort of believe that. I hope that. I don't know if I believe it, if you know what I mean. <laughs> well, maybe that's a better way to put it. I, I sort of have a half belief in a lot of unusual things like that. You too, know what I think so. is funny when you say half belief? Because I think I've said that many times. Like, oh, I half believe that. And I'm like going, as you say that, I'm going like, what does that mean? It's like, it is that sort of fence that we ride, isn't it? Of things that's like, this could be possible, but I'm just not sure, you know? Well, what, I guess what I mean is that, like, if I was going to have a conversation with somebody, it's not a thing I would defend. Oh. It's not a belief I would defend. Yeah, yeah, okay. I would just sort of say, yeah, I think that's kind of interesting. I'm, maybe I believe that. Yeah. Let it go. Yeah. Mo- most people don't want to hear that stuff. <laughs> and generally... If you meet somebody that does want to talk a whole lot about things like that, you don't want to hang out with them too much. <laughs> well, they get, but they catch your attention, right? And then all of a sudden, you're about five minutes into the conversation, going, "I wish I hadn't." A- <laughs> yeah, because then, because invariably, you're going to go to conspiracy theory land, and you don't want to go right. there. And then we're having meetings on Wednesday nights. If you can come on. Right. Right. You're not the Illuminati. You're not fooling me. I'm not coming to your meeting. <laughs> exactly. Dude, I love the song uh, Lonely Street off of Jamboree. I guess maybe because ah. we all, I guess we all are sort of, I think I think what I found in everybody is somehow we all feel like an outcast at some time or another. But, mm-hmm. but the realization, I guess, in my interpretation was that we're just fragile human beings. That's probably pretty fair. That's Jeff's song. Is it? Yeah. Jeff, Jeff wrote that one from... I don't think I wrote a note of that okay. song. If I did, I can't remember what it was. Yeah. But yeah, Jeff. Uh, Jeff used to write a lot about isolation like that, mm. and I think that's based, the base of that song. Yeah, I think I think that's a really good song that didn't get nearly as much attention as some of the other stuff. Right. It didn't get as much attention as it deserved in the canon of Guadalcanal Diary releases, even though it was a single. I'll tell you a funny story about that. Uh, when we cut that song and they decided they wanted it to be the lead single off the, that album, that's on the second album, right? Yep, Jamboree. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, you know, it was video time, and they were like, okay, so we've got a few directors that we want you to work with and blah, blah, blah. And so I said, well, you know, we, by this time we were used to it, so they were, so we were like, well, let's see some script stuff, you know, so tell them to send us some ideas. So they did. <laughs> and this was whatever it was, 1984. And, you know, I don't know where they came up with this stuff, but, like, a couple of these people sent us things like, you know, uh, high desert chaparral at sunset. <laughs> we closed in on on the band who come riding up from the distance on horseback. We're just like, oh, please, you have got to be kidding me. You have got to be kidding me. So I wrote back and I said, or I talked to the record label and I said, the only way that we're going to do a thing like that is that if they continue to close in the shot till it's on my horse's mouth and my horse sings the song, <laughs> like Mr. Ed. We're not doing this any way but that. And then what we did was we we got we conned them into giving us the video budget. <laughs> we got a, we got a crew in a, in Athens, Georgia. To uh, we decided <laughs> we were going to do the whole thing animated and that all of us were going to be different tools but with clothing on so i mean they built the set they built the miniature set and 
I think I was a pair of channel locks and Rhett was a pair of wire cutters. I can't remember what Jeff and John were. You know, they had little clothes made for us and stuff like that. So they were oh, doing wow. all, and it was not stop animation. It was, we were actually, we were puppets is what they were, but they were really tools. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so we got about halfway through and it was taking a long time to shoot this thing. And I just thought it was great. And, uh, so finally they started getting impatient up in New York, the record company did. And they were like, well, send us, send us, you know, some, some rough cuts of it. So we finally did. And the president of the label <laughs> told them to tell us from him, quote, tell them to take their fucking Sears, put their fucking tools back to Sears. <laughs> so we never got to finish it, which is a shame because it would have looked great on MTV if they had played it. You know? <laughs> You guys, too many, too much drinking and drugging at the time. No, no, not at all. No, we weren't like that. It's just, you know, we just like to have fun. And, and plus the stuff that they would think that you should do. I mean, there was this whole, you know, when the, this was right about when people started using the term cow punk. Okay. And so we were getting lumped into that, just like we got lumped into every other passing tag that came by <laughs> in those days. And. You know, so I guess we got the we got the <laughs> we got the horse video thing because it's like, oh well, these guys are cow pump. Let's put them on horses. God, couldn't be more inappropriate. Well, yeah, well, you got them back by going by by having having yourself be tools, I guess, yeah, right? Yeah, the tools was great. <laughs> That's the thing you ought to release online. Just just the rough cuts of that kind of stuff. I think that. If be I knew where it was, I haven't seen it since we walked out of that video studio. Oh, really? I don't even know who's got it? Yeah. Probably Electra, and they probably threw it away a long time ago. Really. So you wrote you wrote a song. I think you wrote a song anyway. Now that I'm now that I find out, Jeff wrote a few songs. Mm-hmm. He was Jeff wrote a bunch of songs. Uh, who wrote Mar- Who wrote Michael Ro- Rockefeller? I did. That was pretty. That's an interesting subject matter, and uh, obviously the the way that you uh, could we all be Ro- Michael Rockefeller? Oh uh, yeah, and, and would you would you want to? Yeah, right. Yeah, it's interesting. That, that, did you read that article? It came out about a year, year and a half ago. That. Somebody had written a new book about him. I think it was on Slate is where I saw it online, uh, where they pretty much figured out what finally conclusively what happened to him. And yes, he was killed and mm. eaten by cannibals, apparently. Mm. Very mm. sad. Mm. But um, I'm sorry, what's the question about that? Why'd you write it, really? I mean, <laughs> you, that's a pretty specific s- subject matter, right? It is, but, you know, a lot of times back in those days, what I would do is something that I was reading. I, I read a lot, and something I was reading. Remember that those books that came out in the 80s called the, uh, uh, wasn't the People's Almanac, but it was a, yeah, I guess it was the People's Almanac. It was um, Irving Wallace and his son and daughter did these really great thick books that were just full of all these interesting stories and facts and stuff like that it's kind of what the internet turned into <laughs> but with, but without the porn um, and there was a great great piece in there about Michael Rockefeller and I didn't really know anything about him at that point and uh, so I read it and read it and read it and read it over and over and over again and didn't you, you pretty much put your finger on it that's kind of what I was doing is using him and his his foray into New Guinea as a metaphor for you know trying to 
trying to assimilate in a culture you don't belong in or trying to force something on on a group of people that don't want it. You know how we're still like flying into these remote places on helicopters and taking pictures of you know uh, Aboriginal people that don't want to be bothered, and we don't have any business doing that. That was kind of where I was going with that. And you know, one of the things that screwed him up was apparently he took he bought a whole bunch of steel hatchets to take with him to trade. And the people he was dealing with were so primitive, they'd never seen steel before, much less a hatchet. And that kind of got them sideways with him, apparently. So, But yeah, is that enough explanation for that one? Okay. Well, just just on that subject matter, I've always, I think one of these churches I went to a long time ago, we, we, the congregation, sponsored missionaries. And I'd always sit there and go, Why? Why do we, in essence, fly in and try to jam Jesus down these people's throat? And, mm, and why, indeed? And and I, it's still. I mean, maybe it's, it's the exact same scenario, right? I mean, except for he wasn't he wasn't a Christian missionary. He was yeah, an right. anthropologist, right. and so I mean, he really didn't even have anything as noble as you know trying to bring a new faith to them. He was just there. Yeah, right. Right. You know, you know, Watusi uh, Rodeo is kind of about the same thing. Really? As silly as the song is, it's kind of about that same thing. Mm. What are these cowboys doing in the Congo? Hmm. Yeah. I mean, I under, I you know, I, I understand curiosity, but I also respect space for lack of a better word, right? Yeah, yeah. You know. Well, I mean, we've got no reason to westernize people like that, you know. I mean, why? Yeah, we've done so hot with it ourselves. Yeah, right. Well, sometimes when I watch, you know, whether, you know, on whatever channel I'm flipping through and I see something, I kind of go, if I, I mean, I'm a curious guy and I, I would I would look at this steel hatchet and I'd go, what is that? But there's also the part of me that just wants to live off the grid like they've been living off the grid. Mm-hmm. And when somebody mm-hmm. from the grid comes down there and brings some grid with them, you right. go, get, get the hell out of here. Why? <laughs> Why do you think that's better? Yeah. What, what am I doing wrong? And, and if we could go in, because I think I would go in and say, here, I have the steel hatchet. Look what I do with it. Rather than, it's not better. It's just, this is what we've done with it, you know? Yeah. And then they go, oh, that's cool. That'll be really good for cutting up meat. Right. What was what was the movie, All the all the go- Gods Have Gone uh, Crazy? Gods Must Be Crazy. Gods Must Be Crazy, you know, when the Coke bottle falls from the yeah. sky. You know, it's sort of like, <laughs> I don't know. I remember that first one. Yeah, they did two of them. The first one I remember being really good, and the second one I remember being awful. Yeah, I never saw the second one. Oh, uh, don't. <laughs> Thank you. I don't even. I don't even know if the first one would hold up. It's been so long since I saw it, but I remember really enjoying it when I saw it. Yeah, yeah. How about Fear of God off a of Jamboree? Um, about feeling small, maybe. Uh, As you recollect it. Yeah, that's that's pretty much it. Yeah, it's uh. Let me think of the lyrics. Another song, you know that whole thing. I heard Jeff say this one time. And I think he's right. People were trying to ask us what each album was about, as though they were concept albums. And he said, "Well, any of them are about anything. Jamboree's about isolation." I think that song. Yeah, a lot of those songs are really dark, you know. Now I think back about them. That one sure is. Yeah, in my room is waiting. One human form, feel no sad emotion, nothing to return. 
It's coming in a dream, one I've had before, wraps me in white linen and slowly, slowly shuts the door. Yeah. Yeah. Jeez. I think Jeff might have written that line. <laughs> that dark, that dark sob. I'm telling you. <laughs> and he's got a very cheery disposition. Well, yeah, here, here's the song that I, I mean, it's the last song on it, Cattle Prod. I still play that. Do you? I play that when I do acoustic shows. Yeah, I just did a couple weeks ago. Um, yeah, I'm the one to blame fully for that one. Um, that came about. I think it's. I mean, it's hilarious as well as it is. There's this darkness, right? It's creepy <laughs> when I listen to it. When I play it, it's just like, wow! I can't believe I wrote this song. <laughs> Somebody asked me in an interview recently. Uh, you know, if if they they asked me all these probing questions, and they were by they via email. So I really had time to sit there and go, wow, okay, I'm going to answer this best I can. So I ended up writing a, a novella back to the guy. <laughs> but um, he kept going, you know, let's talk about past Murray and current Murray. <laughs> I'm like, wow, let's don't. <laughs> let's and don't. He, he said, would, would current Murray write Cattle Prod? And I thought, probably not. Just because it's so perverse in so many ways yep. to me, but that song came about. We were on tour. We were traveling across. I think it's actually West Texas, where there are all these cattle ranches, and I mean, there's just like hundreds of miles oh, yeah. of cattle ranches, and it's on. Somebody I was talking to recently actually knew where the stretch of I-10 was going west. And I was like, yeah, that's it. And miles and miles and miles and miles of all these cattle, these cattle pinned up. And they're right by the highway. You see them, you know, it's just... So I've got my little notebook that I used to write lyrics. And I'm looking out the window at all this. And I'm like... Mmm, steak. I bet there's some weird guys out there dealing with these cows, and that's sort of where it all came from. Uh, and, of course, then I've heard people say that it is a metaphor for my wedding tackle and all that sort of thing. <laughs> but I didn't really write it like that. I'm not that kind of writer. But I could see how you could think that. Uh, well, if you weren't cowpunk before, right? Yeah, well, see, that kind of stuff really helped to slam at home, too, no pun intended. <laughs> I wouldn't write that one now. You wouldn't write that one now? No, but I still play it, which is, is creepy enough. Okay, so. one more, one more. Uh, please stop me. Uh, that's actually, oddly enough, one of my favorite songs I ever wrote, and I still play mm -hmm. that one, too. Yeah. Do you know that guy from the Decembrists, uh, Colin, uh, do you know the Decembrists? Yeah, yeah, I just know, and I know, didn't he, isn't he an author, too? I don't know, is he? I think he's got a book deal. Uh, anyway, go ahead. I, I really liked them. Uh, and I was real flattered a couple of years ago that he covered that song. Did he? He actually covered it twice. Yeah, he did it on on two shows, and I saw him on YouTube. The first time he kind of blew it because he didn't really know the song as well. And the second time he nailed it and did a great version of it. So I was real flattered that he did that. Yeah. Um, there was that song was inspired by again reading about the Lipstick Killer, who was a serial killer in the '40s, like '40s or '50s who used to commit these horrible murders and then he would on the mirror 
in the bedroom of the woman he killed because he, you know, go home with these women and kill them. And at least one time on one mirror in some poor woman's bedroom, he wrote, please stop me before I kill more. And I just thought, oh my God, that's so scary, but so tragic at the same time. Yeah. You know, here is this guy that's saying, quite literally, please stop me before I kill more. And I just started kind of delving into it thinking, what kind of psychology could that be? You know, what? how do you how do you feel this just compulsion to do something that you know is utterly heinous, but yet at the same time you're crying out for help. And so that's, that's where I went with that song. And it's, it's a, it's a scary song, but I like playing it. I remember reading something about serial killers. Usually when they're killing somebody, they're ejaculating at the same time. Uh, I mean, that sort of thing. So there is something so twisted inside of them that you just go, it makes me go, well, I, I, I know I'm not normal, but I'm not that. Yeah, I, I, I've read that too, and it's, um, yeah, yeah, you're right, it's, it's, just, it's just hard to fathom. Yeah. You ready, you ready for me to ask you another a question that you don't have to answer? Have, have you made more money not in the music business? Meaning, have you made more money graphic design and web developing than you ever made through music? Cumulatively, yeah. When I yeah. signed to Geffen, yeah. I made right much money, but um, mm-hmm. it was short-lived. Yeah. Mm-hmm. In the mid-90s, after it was clear that my second solo album wasn't going to get released, but really that was because of politics at the label. The guy that was my A&R and that was my cheerleader there left. Mm-hmm. And so I was orphaned, which used to happen all the time to people. And um, sure, if you're not somebody with staggering record sales, then you likely is not. I mean, I was surprised they didn't just drop me, but they didn't drop me. They funded the next record, but they didn't want to put it out. And um, so after that became clear, that's my daughter was born uh, right when Enthrall was finished. Mm-hmm. And so by the time I had finished that second set of sessions for the second record, um, I'd kind of gotten disgruntled with everything. And I wanted to be home and, you know, help raise my daughter and, you know, be a real parent. I didn't want to be on tour all the time and stuff like that. So I basically went to my manager and said, "Get, get me out of this. Just get me out of it. And I had already started doing, I had done some album covers before that as you know a burgeoning graphic designer so I got into that uh, and literally one day woke up one Saturday morning and thought I'm not a musician anymore now I'm a graphic designer Mm. so I started going out and collecting clients and stuff like that I'm getting to your to the answer to your question with all this I did that for a long time did pretty well with it and then I started branching into um, into uh network and system support because a lot of my clients ended up needing it Mm. and I knew how to do it so I started doing that and one of my clients made me an offer I couldn't refuse and so I went in house for almost 10 years I made a lot of money Mm. comparatively with that company unfortunately they were um, a company whose business was training the financial services industry so right around 2008 Mm -hmm. things weren't so good for me Mm -hmm. so I left and uh, have been freelance ever since Mm. 
But yeah, the answer is yes, I've made more money outside the music business than in it. Okay, I'm, I'm going to jump to solo stuff, and I'm, I'm probably going to okay. dive back into um, into 2x4 and flip-flop just a little bit, but here, here's my experience literally sitting at my desk as a music buyer, and I see in the catalog, Marie Attaway has a solo record coming. Mm-hmm. And um, I would say that my sales rep at the time went, you know who he is? I said, yeah, he's from Guadalcanal Diary, one of my fave bands from you know a few years ago. Awesome. Yeah, you really need to bring in this record. It's going to be a big priority for us. Okay. Well, and we had college stores, right? Mm-hmm. College stores around Michigan. I think I know where this is going. Yeah, well, you probably do. And she's like, well, you really need to bring in a bunch, blah, blah, blah. I said, well, it didn't sell enough Guadalcanal Diary, and I've got to be, besides being a fan, I've still got to be a buyer, right? Mm-hmm. And so... Uh, I don't know, order, say, 10 copies per store, which was probably pretty generous at the time for, for again, I'm not trying to stroke anybody here. I, I, I'm saying I have, I have no copies. illusions about myself. Right. Me. And then, you know, the record comes out, and they tell us it's free. Wasn't that who, something? Who made that deal? The uh, PR people, marketing people. So they came to you and manager and said, we've got something that we've never done before. And by the way, as far as I know, they didn't do it. They haven't done it since. Solicit a record as if it were coming out normally. And then once you get it, by the way, it's free. Yeah. um, They didn't talk to me about that beforehand. Really? Or my manager. What happened is I was actually on a promo tour uh, for the release of that record. And... By promo tour, this one, I just mean I was flying from radio station to radio station across the U.S. Yep. And um, these two guys met me that were from the marketing, we got from the marketing department. I think think we met up in New York at something or other, and they were both like, you know, they wanted to go out to dinner, and they were both acting real strange, like, you know, real, real itchy. And I'm like, well, what's up with y'all, you know? And they said, well, we, we've got something we want to tell you. And I'm like, well, then tell it to me. What What is it? And they said, well, as far as your record. And they told me this. I'm just like, so you gave it away? And they said, yeah, we'd never try anything like that before. And I said, how's that working out for you? And they said, well, 50,000 shipped on the first day. And I'm like, well, that's pretty good. Uh, it didn't really affect me monetarily I mean they still had to pay me for it but um but yeah it didn't it didn't do what they wanted it to do clearly you know I mean the the record got some respectable airplay but that was because people already knew me from Guadalcanal Diary it wasn't because of any marketing efforts on the labels part and so um as far as sales go, I mean, I don't know what the final sales of that record was. Uh, I don't recall ever seeing an accounting for it. I guess I could call my old manager and ask him, but uh, I don't know. I know that it, it, it they fell on their face when they did it. Those guys probably got fired for that. <laughs> I don't know. Well, I, yeah, but Geffen, in those days, Geffen had an awful lot of money, so they could afford to do things like that. you know. And at the end of the day, it wasn't that many records that they gave away, 50000 well, it's it's just an interesting thing because if they would have said to me in the buyer's office, we're only going to charge you a dollar for it, I would have said, 
Mm -hmm. then let's really start make something make obviously it's a big priority for you right I mean list price is still the same but you're gonna mm -hmm. allow us to make more um, profit and uh, right but I, I just found it because they told us whatever Wednesday I said well can we still buy it for can we still buy no now the price is whatever it was you know at the time 10 1060 or whatever mm -hmm. yeah. and uh, mm -hmm. I, I just found I said well what then what's the point I mean how <laughs> I, I yeah. couldn't figure. I mean, I thought it was an interesting idea. I mean, I, I, I love creative ideas, but I just thought, well, sure. what's the point here? Because if you really want a bunch of his product on an end cap, again, sell it to me for a buck, and all of a sudden we're willing to step out, you know, instead of having, yeah, you know, three hundred dollars worth of cost there. We have thirty dollars worth of cost there, and now you got a whole end cap full of Murray Attaway from Guadalcanal Diaries back, blah, or whatever you say, right? You know, so right, right. So I, I just wonder where that decision came from, and I'm, I'm a little, I'm a little off put because it wasn't a little more thought out than that, and they had to tell you kind of on the on the sly after they did it, and I'm like, which is exactly what they did. They didn't tell me, didn't tell my management. Yeah, and, it, um, and it's so weird. It was very weird. But it was just cockamamie enough that I thought, hey, you know, I yeah, could right. Um, and they paid attention to it enough to want to do something different. So all of a sudden, yeah. everybody did take note, right? But still, now I want to buy more, and I can't because now, or I can't. I just won't until the other products sold through. So right, sure. You know. Yeah, they uh, they they did some crazy stuff. See, the thing about it, my A and R guy was like very powerful at that label at the time. And so he basically told everybody, okay, because he'd been trying, they tried to sign Guadalcanal and we wouldn't sign with him. So he kept up with me over the years. And he said, when, you, when and if you go solo, you better sign with Geffen. Mm. You know, I'll make your life miserable if you don't sign with Geffen. <laughs> and when I, when I decided to go solo, I did get other offers, but he showed up and he was like, so? And I said, okay, so you got to make me a deal. I want to sign with you, but you got to make me a deal that is at least comparable to what everybody else has given me. And he was like, oh, it's going to be a better deal. And it was, you yeah. know, financially. But um, Well, you're in the wake of Nirvana then, right? Yeah, by then I was. Uh, so I mean, he, Geffen was. Yeah. yeah. Well, we all were, though. Yeah, right. Yeah. And, yeah. Actually, everybody was. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> but he literally went to everybody in that company and said, when this record is released, make it pop. Make it, yeah. make it happen. And yeah. so that's that's probably why they took the license to do something like that. Because everybody's running around going, "Oh, Zootot's gonna like have our asses if we don't do something really creative and really really good with this." <laughs> uh, you know that just the whole making of that record was so alien to me because even though I think it's got some good stuff on it, I like the record. Uh, you know, I'm used to going in and making a record with a band and somebody like Don Dixon. You know, inside a couple of months, that record took something like eight months to do, and it cost ten times more than any record I've ever made. And it was just because I was doing it in L.A. and things were done differently, you know? Did you feel like a rock star then? They tried their best to make me feel like one. But, you know, now I was, I'd already made enough records to know you don't fall for that shit, you know? Mm-hmm. You really don't. I mean, the closest I got to falling for it was I was enjoying living in Westwood for free and having everything paid for. That was nice. What year is this, basically? 1992. Yeah. That was what I was doing there, was working on that record, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, I, I had a lot of nice perks from it and stuff like that. Oh, I, I got to uh, train with an opera coach, hmm. which I asked them if I could do, and they were like, oh, uh, 
Well, we usually really want lead singers to do that, but you you don't need to. Now, don't think we're trying to trying to tell you that you ought to do it. I'm like, you know, I asked you. Yeah, right. You guys are you guys are going to pay for it, right? Yeah, I want to do it. And they're like, wow, we've never had anybody ask to do it before. I'm like, just just set me up. So, are you were you a better singer because of it? Yeah. And are you a better singer because of that training? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it, it it taught me a lot of stuff about breath control that I didn't know. Hmm. I, I always wonder about breath control as an interviewer when I'm an hour and 15 minutes in, by the way. <laughs> um, so again, here I am trying to respect your time by yapping. It's all right. Tell, tell me about the Even song. About I guess I have that as a darkness lurking sort of an idea, but I, I could be way off in that because i got big question marks around Yeah, it is, it is that. It's another otherworldly atmospheric song. Um, mm-hmm. That, yeah, that's that's all I can really say about it. That's what it is. I mean, some of those songs were like songs like that were just me sort of trying to write a haunting, otherworldly song. I don't know. I don't know that that one has as much profundity as it may seem to. Mm. <laughs> I guess when I hear a song like that, I, I wonder why it, it didn't take over radio. I just think it's got the hooks in it. I think it's got that atmospheric idea that you say, but yet there's there's hooks there, and it makes it, I don't know, it just, it just rides through my ears and into my soul. So there you go. I like it. I thought it was a pleasant enough song to listen to, and it's pleasant enough to play. You know what they wanted, the, and they fought the A&R guy on this, he wanted to use the lead single he wanted from that album was do, do you know the album well yep. enough to know what the songs are he uh i'm looking at it right now he wanted to use um allegory as the lead single and i personally think that's the best song on the record and it's one of my favorite songs yep. that i've ever written mm-hmm. but he couldn't punch that one through and so they instead they did under jets by the way yeah, I, yeah, whatever, uh, whatever about Under Jets. I don't mean to undersell that song, but when I go to Allegory, do, do you think that it could have been a lyrical thing because there was too much about? A, a I, think, I think it was too ethereal for radio, and yeah. it was too long. It's a fairly long song yeah. for that period of time. Right. But Allegory, I'll tell you, is that's a simple explanation. That song, it's, if it's not obvious to you already, that is me trying to put my personal beliefs into a song. Yeah, I, period. That's what it is. That's that's my little. My note is real. My little, you know. My note is realizing your humanness. So somewhere in that vicinity of yeah, of, that's that's definitely a big chunk of it. Yeah. Well, you should have did when I interviewed uh, Richard Page from uh, uh, Mister Mister World, right? That Carrie A song. Mm-hmm. Uh, songs like five minutes and forty-seven seconds or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Of course, that's way too long for radio, and, and again, too ethereal for radio, right? But, it, uh, but um, they had it as a single. They had it as a single, but when but it they wasn't their lead-off single. No, but when they shipped it to radio, mm-hmm. it was a four-minute and thirty-second song. Mm-hmm. But the song was still four, five minutes and forty-seven seconds on the on the disc. That's brilliant. <laughs> Is yeah, that hilarious? Their drummer was the drummer on Enthrall, Pat Mastellato. Oh yeah, sure. Yeah. Yeah, I've heard his name a lot around. Yeah, he's been playing with King Crimson forever now. If, oh, if really? King Crimson still exists. Yeah, yeah, really? uh, the, yeah I had quite a, quite a great cast of players on that record. Yeah. <laughs> how about Fall So Far off of that record? I'm wondering sorry? About your, how about Fall So Far? I got Wondering About Yourself. and That's a very personal song. Yeah? That was about... That song, let's just spice it to say this, that was... 
my remembering myself when I was an out of control younger person. Hmm. I was, uh, there was a period in Guadalcanal where I was, I kind of went off the rails with craziness partying and stuff like that, and that's what that song's about. But isn't there something there about God's grace is always there with you? When you're falling and you quote unquote fall so far, something or somebody is there to catch you, or you're not going to end up in the absolute pits of whatever life can throw on top of you. you know? No, really, what that was was me literally wondering how to let myself go like that. Mm. And what was I thinking? You know, what, you know, why did I have so little? Why was I looking at it through that lens? Why was I just thinking I could do anything I felt like doing anytime I wanted to do it, you know? Have you figured out why yet? <laughs> no. <laughs> August Rain off that record. That's about my father. Oh, really? Yeah, he died uh, right before I started working on that record. And he died, he was 57 years old. It's too young. He died of esophageal cancer. And... Yeah. Uh, and he died in, in uh, August of the prior year. And that's that's 100% what that song is about. Anything else off that record you really want to talk about? Angels and Trees? Angels and Trees is another song about uh, questioning uh, faith and the existence of God. It's pretty straightforward, I think. Yeah. Jackson Brown sings on it with me. Yeah, I've, I've always wanted to interview Jackson Brown. And every time that I get close, it's like, uh, vocal rest and I figure well you're blowing me off that's okay but I just don't know I mean obviously he's written some pretty intense and political songs too but I just I don't know I, I just never hear really great interviews with him and it makes me sad that's weird because he's a great guy I mean yeah we were actually yeah. pretty good friends for a while back then yeah, yeah. and uh, he wanted to sing on the record that's why I invited him but nice yeah, he was. A guy, that surprises me. I don't know that I've read a lot of interviews with him to start with, but it surprised yeah. me because he's very open, very warm person. I can tell you a real quick funny story about another song on that album. It's called Home. Yeah, okay. That was a song I wrote. This is not the funny part. I, I wrote that song uh, before my father passed away, and, and I played it for him, and he really loved it, so I dedicated it to him on the album. Uh, or not dedicated it to him, but I mentioned him and quoted the line from the song mm -hmm. on the notes. Um, but my publishing company, who shall go unnamed, uh, <laughs> decided they were going to get they were going to step up with that record. And they were when I was working on it, and they were going to start marketing, trying to push me to like television and movies a little bit more. Publishers were, yeah. And I actually had a woman from New York call me up and say, well, we're really interested in this song that you, because they had the demo of Home. We're really interested in this song called Home. Um, so let's talk about it a little bit. I said, okay. She said, well, is there anything you could do with it? And I said, what do you mean? She said, well, the chorus is just you singing home, 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 home. I said, well, yeah, there's a melody to it, but that's basically the chorus. And she said, well, couldn't you just expand a little bit, like to say why it's nice to be home or when you're going to go home? And I was just like, goodbye. <laughs> <laughs> a person from a publishing company telling somebody how to write a song. Come on. Well, they just need to, For, uh, to make it to make it more uh, palatable. 
Yeah, they just need to fit it, fit something in their square hole, and it's not quite square, you know. Yeah, it's just I just thought that was pretty bald. <laughs> I wouldn't do that to somebody. I mean, I I am a songwriter, and I wouldn't call somebody else up and go, "Hey, by the way, you ought to change this up." Right. So the uh, the records that um, that Don sent me were. Uh, he titled them, and maybe they were titled. I, didn't, I never saw them on BitTorrent. I can't wait for this. Uh, How I Spent My 30s. <laughs> that's, that's right. That's the working title. <laughs> that wasn't, that wasn't going to be the title for real, but... but uh, I like it. I like that title. Because we had to keep coming back to it, and we spent more time in the studio than he and I had ever spent in the studio. That's yeah. what I suggested that we call it. And Southern Gothic is the other one. Yeah, I was actually going to call it. Uh, by that time, Southern Gothic had gotten to be too much of a thing, and plus, you do that, and then people think you that you think you're Faulkner or something. So that wasn't ever going to fly. Yeah, right. Or they think that you think you're Flannery O'Connor. <laughs> um, no, I think the title I settled on was going to be uh, Delirium. Mm. That's what I was planning on calling it. The other thing I was thinking about calling it was New Pagan Hymnal, and I thought, I'll never get away with that. Never, never, never. So I just thought it would be cute, you know? Yeah. So was are all those songs uh, were recorded for to become one record, were they? No. Well, I mean, not they weren't all going to be on one record. We were going to pick through them. And, and make know, one record out of all those songs. Make one record out of them, yeah. Yeah, okay. Uh, if the Walls Could Talk. I almost thought Don Dixon wrote that with you. It sounded like a jingly jangly thing by him, but uh, no, no, I wrote it. Yeah. Uh, Darkness lurking, bad relationship going on. I do not have the lyrics. I've just listened to them, you know. Yeah, I still occasionally play that song. Uh, uh, you know, I was writing that song when I was watching. Uh, live footage of the slow speed chase with O.J. Simpson. <laughs> Literally, it was on, I had a little project studio and I built into the barn behind my house and that was on. Right. And of course, the sound was off because I'm sitting there trying to write. And I looked over and I'm like, why in the hell am I seeing this endless footage of this white Bronco being followed by police at about five miles an hour and you know on the 405 in los angeles right. so i turned the sound on and found out about what was going on i was like wow and so some of that made it into that song mm -hmm. like hey i know you you were dead until i saw you on tv i'll call the law <laughs> they know my voice and i'll tell them you're with me don't try to run a clear-cut case of self-defense you bet i'm your friend stick around and the best is coming yet that's completely from watching wow. that yeah. shit on television <laughs> God. Do you ever do you ever sit around and go, oh my God, how many lyrics do I have in my head? Because you're pretty good about even when you think about them. Once you think about them, you can kind of get back to that song and go, you're pretty good at that. Yeah, I'm usually pretty good at, at remembering a lot of lyrics until I get behind a microphone. <laughs> That's all. I can't tell you how many times I played. I played Watusi Rodeo almost every single time I've walked on a stage under any circumstances since the song came out and i can't tell you how many times i've forgotten verses to it is that hilarious well my, you know because it's a song i've played so much that my mind starts to wander while i'm playing it 
Yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know, I just lose it. I'll lose whole chunks of it. Another one I do that with is little birds. That happens to me all the time. I play little birds a lot, and that happens to me all the time. I don't know that song. What record is that off that of? Song, oh, off of uh, 2 by 4 yeah. Yeah, that's off 2 by 4 Yeah. Well, isn't that song about... A, isn't, is that a God thing about... Yeah. Him or, yeah, God yeah. watches us through the eyes of little birds. It's also about paranoia. Oh, wow. That's an interesting juxtaposition. Well, if God sees all. I was we were, we were, again, on tour. I used to look out the window a lot when we were touring and, and write ideas down in my notepad, my notebook. And uh, yeah. we were driving along, and I remember John was up front, John Poe, and I sort of halfway heard the conversation he was having with somebody, one of the crew, and he said, Blah 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 blah, and God watches us through the eyes of little birds. Blah 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 blah. I was like, what? What did you just say? He said, well, which part? And I said, something about God and little birds. He's like, oh yeah, God watches us through the eyes of little birds. And I said, where in the world did you get that from? He said, well, I think I saw it on a bumper sticker. And I just like, oh my God. And I sat down and like 15 minutes later. I had that song. It was one of those gifts where you just get it, you know? It was, yeah. Wow. That's one of my most well-known songs of all things. I'm surprised you don't know that one very well because it's, it's that's a thing that every time I've started playing that song, the audience starts yelling. I, I don't, I don't know if I just, you know, I just, it just didn't grab. For some reason, it didn't. It that song didn't grab me, Frank, right? Like other songs on that oh, record did. That's fine. You know, that's fine. I just, it's just funny because that's a, that, it's an odd song for it to be as popular with audiences as it is. Well, you know, I'm trying to think. Uh, I'm jumping over to Vista now, right? Ah. Um, a song like that, I now recognize that song. But in 1989, when that came out, I think it was just the last song on the record, and it was it just didn't hit me, right? Yeah. It, and I'm just in a different time in my life now. So when I was listening through to these records again because of this conversation, I went, how did I miss that song? I mean, there's something about that song for me right now is like, Again, this trying to make sense thing, right? Still, and feeling like a loser is kind of the notes I have around it. But I don't know. Maybe that and that little bird just hasn't hit me yet yeah, for whatever that's, reason. That's right? fine, you and know? it doesn't have so, to. But but do you want to talk about that song, Vista? While we're while we're there, oh, we can. While, yeah, sure. While we're in while we're in that neighborhood, yeah. <laughs> Rhett uh, Crow used to. She learned that at camp. There's another campfire song. Um, mm. She that, that whole first part of it, and all the all the mumbo jumbo intro, is the song verbatim. That's the whole song, and she used to sing that to me. And I was that's so goofy. Does just what is it? And so finally, yeah. I thought, yeah, I'm going to take that and stick it in a song. So I did, and the rest of it is just it's really gotten it's just foolishness. Yeah. It's, it really has no serious uh, no serious. Import. Yeah, I don't, I, don't, I don't know why it hit me. Just did, just did. Oh, I, I, I love the song. And I, the times that Guadalcanal's gotten back together over the years, we always play that. One. Do you? Yeah, yeah, always. Wow. No, I, I, I love that song. It's just, you know, I, I, I'd love to assign it with some deeper meaning, but I'm afraid it has none. Thank you, sir. How about the song before that, off of that record, uh, Ten Laws about religion messing things up? That's a song that I wish we had pushed a little bit more and we hardly ever played it live that's one of my favorite songs that i wrote on that yeah. album and um you know we probably shouldn't have used we used an early sampler 
to do the sort of angel choir on that, and that dates the song, and I kind of wish we hadn't done it. That was Dixon's idea. He had just got the sampler. He's like, oh, we got to use this on everything. <laughs> and, uh, I remember he and I even got in an argument about it, which was rare for us to argue. But um, that was based on an essay I read by Joseph Campbell. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was just, uh, it, it, the essay wasn't saying this so much, but it was, this is what I took away from it. It made me write the song that, in my humble opinion, to to try to live your life based on a set of rules uh, that were conceived 2,000 years ago is not working I really I, I always really liked that song I need to resurrect that song I need to play it in my live shows although it's a downer I don't know if it'd go over very well <laughs> another song that I'm dovetailing in that is off that uh, off your unreleased stuff called Month of Sundays oh wow I hadn't thought about that in a long time I, I wondered if that is from the almost from the 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 chair of the preacher, if you will, who is full of himself or herself. Think with those lyrics. And and religion's all misguided and messed up and blah blah blah. Bless me for what I do receive. All now far to come. That's the door. The ocean dry and leave me stranded on. I can't believe I remember these lyrics. <laughs> well, it's all my, my problem is I'll remember my lyrics, but I won't remember how to play the song on guitar. Um, yeah, yeah, that's that's not a bad interpretation of it. It's, it was, I, I guess, the simplest way to put it, it was just about confusion and trying to find a, a specific direction out of a out of that confusion. Is that fair enough? Are you still looking for God? Sure. How how do you do that? Within. Internally. Ever go to church? Uh, I went to mass not too long ago to Did hear you? somebody very close to me sing in the choir. Oh, okay. Done there you go. done that a couple of times this year. In fact, does it feel does it feel like a place you can find God? I think that God's there, yeah, but I don't know if that's where I would connect. Yeah, I'm I'm a guy who thinks that I'm as close to God now talking with you as in when I'm shooting baskets and talking with my family and potentially sitting in a pew once in a while. Yeah, I th- I I think I think God is everywhere and in everything. So, like well, I I said as much of that in allegory. Mm-hmm. Even the wind and the trees is the allegory, and all I am and all everything is the allegory. The allegory was an allegory for an allegory. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, but I think I'm still, I still question. Yeah, and the older I get, probably the more I question. Now, now we get the train. See, we're getting all the forms of communication. Yeah, really. We had an airplane. Think, we had an ambulance. Then we had a train. All this transportation. Yeah. The the we thing that I think. I think I think I'm better at. I have probably more questions, but I think I'm more at peace with 
understanding that I won't know all those answers. Yeah. Where I think when I was younger, you know, even even just diving into your two by four record and trying to dive into my own soul and try to figure out life, you know, and go, oh, well, this is this is what it all means. Yeah. And now it's like I, I don't know if anybody knows what it all means, but I think I get glimpses of it. People you know? sure pretend they do, though. <laughs> yeah, and they write books and make a lot of money, and 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 it's funny because I did somebody did a marketing uh, research thing for my uh, radio show, uh, probably in the mid '90s, and uh, they said the, the the gist of it was my whole thing was you've got questions, I've got more. <laughs> that was my whole thing. That's clever. Now, clever, right? But but it was true. No, I mean, I'm sure it's true. It's just a, it's, you know what it's I mean? a clever but, way to put but it. But what they came back with was people don't want to consume entertainment that is searching. They want to consume entertainment that gives them answers. I don't agree with that. And it, well, well, I guess I guess it's because well, I guess I went with it because I went I didn't change anything I did by the way but I just went it that's the dumbing down of society they just want to turn around and go this is the way you fix something follow this way and right and your life will be better eat better right god pray better whatever and I thought yeah. I, I have questions about all those things if I should be eating meat or not eating meat you know you boy me too buddy <laughs> I went vegan a couple of years ago are you still there uh, not right now. Yeah. Not right now. I, I um, had a had a pretty significant change in my life just recently, and in the midst of that change, um, I uh, how can I put that? Well, I, I got married recently. Oh, nice. Yeah, and uh, my wife is. Uh, she always jokes that she's vegan friendly. I love that phrase. But right around, right around, and a little bit before we actually got married, and we just had a little private ceremony, and then we took a few days off and went down to St. Simon's Island, which is off the coast of Georgia. But we were kind of like, woohoo! You know, we eat whatever we want, do all this kind of stuff, and just have a nice time. And so, I guess the honeymoon's not over yet. Yeah, right. I got myself. Uh, I keep telling myself, okay, now. You got to get back on the horse and, and stop this foolishness. So, sometime within the next few weeks, I'll be I'll be back to it. But yeah, I have a lot of specific issues about animal products, and we won't go into those. But um, there was a it wasn't so much a health reason that I went vegan. It was more of a philosophical reason. Yeah. Well, let's not get into it by me saying I've watched enough documentaries to watch them. To watch the way they feed cattle and chickens, and I went, I wouldn't put that stuff in my body, but in essence, I'm putting it into my body, so that's why I chose to go right. vegetarian. But I will say, I'm a vegetarian most of the time, but when there's bacon around, <laughs> what is it with bacon, man? What is it? I swear to God, my whole life, you know, bacon was what you had occasionally with eggs, right? And nobody really made that. It, it, it wasn't this big zeitgeist, you know, but now it is, and it has been. Yeah. I mean, bacon, everything. Yeah. You know, when you can when when you can actually go out and buy bacon flavored vodka, then something's up. <laughs> well, I mean, or any of the other stuff that's bacon flavored. I mean, it's incredible what's ba bacon flavored ice cream. Oh, really? Wow. Yeah, there's a there's a really cool 
what do they call this now? It's another buzzword. I guess artisanal ice cream place here in Decatur. Okay. Uh, my wife and I went a few nights back, and um, they had bacon ice cream. I did not have it because why would you? But, you know, it's like, but, but what are you people doing in the South with chicken and waffles? What is that? You mean we invented that? That's crap. No. Have you ever tried it? Nope. Well, you probably... What part of Michigan are you in? Grand Rapids. Well, probably can't find it there. Oh, I can, yeah. It's it's on some menus now, but I but one, it or probably the, isn't authentic. I, I don't know from chicken and waffles. I don't know where that came from, but I know it's a pretty decent combo. There's a place in uh, Arlington, Virginia, that a friend of mine took me to several years back, and it's called um, Marvin. Just Marvin, no S. Mm. And... It's a Belgian chicken and waffle place. Apparently, Marvin Gaye spent some time in Belgium, and being from you know America, he was all about chicken and waffles. But he put his own, he introduced his own slant with the Belgian waffle and the chicken and collard greens. Now, yeah. having said that, a couple of years later, I did the tofu version of it. Okay. Yeah, but it was fried tofu waffle and uh, collard greens and it was damn good too was it really yes it was and i invented it the attaway <laughs> it's the Atta- it's the attaway concoction yeah yeah or something uh is i fell down uh anywhere reminiscent to fall so far yeah kind of it's not really about the same thing it's just yeah. about failing and trying again yeah. I like that song too. I'd love to do something else with that. Yeah. That actually started life as a song called Hey Diddle Diddle. Thank God I changed the lyrics. Hey. Does anybody have a song called Hey Diddle Diddle? I did. Do you have one? You have one now? I did. Oh, oh you no. did, right? No. Yeah, no, right. That was that song. No. <laughs> no, I do not. It's funny though, I started playing with a guy recently, a drummer named Robert Schmidt, who's actually one of the swimming pool cues, if you know them. Yeah. And, um, he and I had played together right about the time I started writing those songs for that record. And uh, he said, you know what, I want to work up, let's work up Hey Diddle Diddle. And I'm like, oh my God, I forgot it was even called that. You know, and he remembered the lyrics and everything. Nice. Hey, the other song that I actually saw on uh, YouTube that you did under the under the guise of Blasting Cap, which I'm calling your new band. Yeah. Correct? Yeah. Is the song Breath? Yes. That's a pretty heavy song, I thought. Yeah, it's one of my favorites. I like playing. I play that in my acoustic duo, too. Um, that was about... Gosh, I don't know how specific I want to be about this. I jotted down uh, about realizing some new life and maybe a, maybe a God's grace thing somewhere throughout. Well, it was... It was, it was uh, inspired by uh, a breakup that my first wife and I had in the 90s and um excuse me um that was the model for the song for the song lyrically um now that had a happy ending because even though we're not married anymore we're still very good friends Mm. so but that that's kind of where that that was sort of what that song was about actually and I mean it can be construed successfully to be about more than that but on the surface that's what it was about basically I'm saying 
you're okay, I'm saying I can see a house by the side of the road standing empty, cold, and spare. Once the windows glowed with light, but too much went too wrong in there, I can hear a radio crackle with other people's stories, static waves of souls to save, and tales of fallen glories, and it almost takes my breath away. I'm saying it almost takes my breath away because in a situation like that, one may feel so removed from it that you don't even really know how to react to it properly. Mm. So that's what that line's about. Mm. That's a real crowd favorite, that song. Yeah, well, make it, make it, yeah. Are you going to record something under Blasting Cap, or are you just going to play under it right now? Mm, mm, uh, we're not even doing it right now. It's taking an extended hiatus. The one more song off of that, <laughs> I keep going back to how I spent the 30s record, so I'm not even sure. What, That's what, fine. How do you title it? You can call it. Like how do you title it? Delirium still works for me. Do you, oh, still Delirium, okay. Um, Jack the Ripper. I don't even have a copy of that song. For some reason, all of the all of the cuts I've got from those sessions, that one got left out. I don't have. I have to call Dixon. Um, that that's. I'll tell you what it was about. It's pretty self-explanatory. It was just. It's about this this hope that I've had that one day when we die, it's all explained. Yeah. That everything's explained. You get the answer to everything. Yeah. Like I've all and I use Jack the Ripper because. I'm sure it's going to be anticlimactic if, if, climactic if I ever find out who he was because it's just going to be some guy that... I mean, even Ripperologists... I've, I've, I've read a lot about that subject. and Okay. Uh, people who are considered well-respected Ripperologists, if you will, they all agree that uh, pretty much that if you were to find out who it was, they'd all go, Who? <laughs> Like it's not any of the people that are popular suspects. It's probably some guy nobody remembered, nobody ever heard of. It's some psychopath. Yeah. But that's that's it. I, I just hope everything. Hope everything's explained. I really do want to know about those things. I want to know what happened to the Anasazi, and I really do want to know what the deal was with Casper Hauser. All of that, and I, it'd be kind of cool to know where Jimmy Hoffa is actually buried. <laughs> my, I, I, my hope is that. Really, truly, when I die, I do either. There's either a huge press conference. We all have our hands raised. We have all these questions. Who shot Kennedy? Yeah, right. Yeah, or or, or the magic. That'd probably be my first. That, right. Yeah. What happened to that? Um, I'm sure mine would probably be more uh, personal. Like, why didn't I fill in the blank? <laughs> Son of a bitch that I am. Um, See, I think I can answer all those things myself. <laughs> yeah, but I don't want to answer them, so I'd rather leave them leave them for later, right? Right. I don't want right. answers. I, I mean, I don't want questions. I want answers. Um, or we just become part of the all-knowing, and we'll just go, "Oh, that's who Jack the Ripper was." Okay, that's how Kennedy was shot. Okay, you know, and you'll just, yeah, right, and, then, right. and then you'll, and then all your curiosities will be filled, and then you will be able to emanate, hopefully, light and love, and and spread yourself over the grounds that is whatever, whatever all the worlds are out there that have living entities. You know. Well put. Well, I tell you, my fear is that is that when I do get the knowledge of who killed Kennedy, it's, they're going to they're gonna say, Oswald. And I'm going to go, no, it's not. I don't believe you. It was a conspiracy. Yeah, you and Oliver Stone, you just can't believe it. I won't believe it. Yeah, I don't know what I believe about that anymore. But that movie was fun to watch, as wildly fic fictional as it was. Yeah. Uh, two more songs off the, solo, uh, the other solo records. I'll ask you about Stranger. And answer those two. Oh yeah, I, I'm planning on doing something song. with that one. 
Yeah, about life. And, and I have it down. The, I guess maybe the, those questions that we're asking, right? Where does life take us? And wondering about that kind of stuff. Yeah, because of the because of the chorus. Every day's a long, hard ride. Miracles are dreams and water. That's actually one of my favorite lines I've ever written. Yeah, miracles are dreams and water. Rumor has it just inside is a stranger. Uh, the stranger inside. Do you like that lyric because? Do you? I mean, do you know what you mean, or do you like it because you don't know what it means? Exactly, as it were. No, I know what it means. I like it because I know what it means. What What does dream and water mean then? If miracles are dream and water, how do, how do I how do I, how do dreams and water mix? In my mind, like oil and water, right? No, no, no. Uh, what okay, I'm trying to, to say, what I'm trying to say there basically is that is that one could make miracles happen, and it's simpler than we probably think. That's where I was mm. going with it. Sort of like think of it in mm. these terms. Like I love that, Mary. Yeah, nice. Dream dreams just add water. Yeah, right. Yeah, maybe like yeah, maybe like we we're just talking about. We find out all this stuff is so simple. We didn't. We were just looking so far beyond that we couldn't see the forest, right? Yeah, but the whole point the whole point of that is that that's why I keep saying rumor has it just inside that is a stranger, because we are strangers to ourselves in so many ways, like that, in my opinion, and mm-hmm. that's. The idea a miracle probably isn't. No, you are in complete pause. Yep, I knew that was going to happen because it was getting really sluggish. Yeah, uh, what did you get? What's that? Uh, I think I think I got most of what I wanted out of Stranger. And plus, we should. I, I figure it's a good indicator that we need to wrap things up because I appreciate it and. I just appreciate it. So let me ask, uh, Let me. was there anything you wanted to say about the song Answer? That song's about Rhett. Now it can be told, Fab mm-hmm. listeners. That song is about Rhett. Uh, Rhett and I were, as she would put it, sweethearts um, for a long time at, and still were right at the very beginning of, uh, mm-hmm. of Guadalcanal. And then we split and she's always been one of the most significant people to me and I to her and we're still very very close friends and that song was just a way of me sort of saying sort of airing my regrets pretty as is pretty does and uh, everything but good luck off of flip flop I guess I kind of dovetailed both of those and thought there's some superficial living and materialism going on well you have to talk to John about that he wrote he wrote them. I, I think "Pretty Is Is Pretty Does" is one of the best songs on that record. Um, John tended to get a little preachy with his lyrics, hmm. and those are not. I mean, I, I don't want to criticize him. I mean, they're good songs, especially "Pretty Is," but but that's that's just not quite my style to to do that sort of yeah social criticism like that. Mm-hmm. Is the likes of you? Is that you? No, that's John too. That's a great song, I think. That's about the devil. Well, I, was there ever a time when you thought things are um, these words are great, but they're just not mine? Yeah. And I would rephrase them, and so I just can't sing those. Yeah, that uh, this other one that you mentioned, John's. What was it? Pretty, pretty is or uh, everything but good. Everything luck. but good luck. Yeah, yeah. That, that I was kind of like that, that's you know I'm going to sing it because I'm the singer, but I, that. You can't always personalize everything. Did you guys get into battles about songwriting and stuff toward the end? 
Uh, not really. Not too bad. Yeah. Okay. No, no. I mean, you know, Jeff and I were real good because we would edit each other when we'd write together. Or even if we weren't writing together, you know, one of us would say, maybe let's simplify this section or maybe cut this line a little bit, you know? Yeah. Did you actually play a 2x4 on the... Uh on the 2x4 album ever? <laughs> no, never occurred to Come me. on. Well, I just remember reading Neil Peart, who, I, who I've always been a fan of his lyrics from Rush, uh-huh. uh, actually uh, played a piece of plywood on one record and it made me laugh, you know? So I, was, I, was, I had a wee bit of hope for that wood being, uh, being taken no, in place. I played somewhere. an ocarina on a song. That's about as wacky as I ever got. Murray Attaway, <laughs> Ocarina yeah. of Time. Um, okay, so Things Fall Apart. Yeah, that's that's actually Jeff and I. That's a song we wrote together. I think John had a hand in that one too. Uh, it's what do you think it's about? It's about exactly what it sounds like. Yeah, world's all messed up, you know. And yeah. there's I, I, I again I th- I think I throw God into things a little bit early because I always wonder. No, but, no, no. I, I I threw God into lots of things where God didn't belong to. <laughs> but you know, sometimes I go and then I re- then I recorded them. <laughs> And then somebody in Grand Rapids, Michigan went, hey, I think he's thinking about God. And you go, and then we talked 30 years later. <laughs> yeah, I think I had the idea for Things Fall Apart from the from the Yates poem, The Second Coming, just that one line. Of course, mm-hmm. the song has nothing much to do with the meaning of the Yates poem. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah, I think we kind of all pitched in on that one. And God, things did fall apart in that song sort of uh it's got it's got several different perspectives i think so that's a uh, all right last song i'm gonna ask you about is winds of change that's a that's a jeff song yeah and it's about it's it's pretty i think it's pretty self-explanatory too if you if you interpret that as um well how do you interpret it uh, more life is confusing, yeah. but also great at the same yeah. time. There you go. And 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 somehow we must or we should accept the unknown. So uh, I think I've there lost you, you again. I said, can you hear me now? Hello. Hear me. Hello, hello. I see you're moving. I can hear all you. I hear you now. I can hear you. Well, for a second. Hello. Hello. Hello, hello. La la la. Ba ba ba. Ding, ding, ding. Ding, ding, ding. Yeah, I lost you a little bit. Our connection's going south. Hello. Hey, we have to be done here. As if you couldn't tell, Murray Attaway and I have similar thoughts on things. Smarmy we may be, but we are full of wonder and dreams and hope. And I so hope you enjoyed this conversation. It was a long time coming. Thank you, thank you, thank you for reals. I know you're searching. Don't, don't stop. Keep on scouring lyrics and songs and movies and books and anywhere you can find inspiration. Because, and I know I'm still wrestling with this, you are worthy of love and a great life. Give and get. Listen in and share the goodness. I sign off sincerely, comma, Frank Jenks. Questioner, interviewer, searcher, hoper. Hoper.